Yeah, we're a little, uh, we're a little weird in this church. This is not tra- training for how you treat people out, out there in the world. Don't, yeah, hey, some kind word, you know. Excited to, to start our seven-week series on transformation today. We're beginning with part one as we look at seven key areas of our lives where we want to see God change us. Next week, we're actually straying briefly from our series. Next, it's Thanksgiving Sunday, and we're going to take a quick break out to focus on gratitude, on that spiritual discipline of Thanksgiving, but we'll uh, jump into the series right after that and go right, right on through. What I want to say in this first session as we talk and begin looking at pursuing spiritual health is the further away we get from God, the more trouble we're going to have. The more trials, the more troubles, the more difficulties, the more stress, the more things go wrong when we are not cooperating with our Creator, when we're not living in sync with God's plan and will for our lives. Scripture actually tells us that the way of the unrighteous is actually pretty rough. It's, it's a difficult way. It, it's full of thorns, and it's, it's rocky. And, and the further I get away, the more trouble I'm going to have in my life when I live, live on that unrighteous path. On the other hand, the way of the righteous is good. The, the closer I get to God, the more my life is going to be transformed and marked by joy and life and, and wholeness and all those good things. We can see this all through Scripture. Paul, when he finally met Jesus face-to-face, he was radically transformed from being a terrorist. He was literally a religious terrorist. You think of who Saul was in that day. Transformed into what? The apostle of love. He would go on to write the most famous poem ever written on love. We find it in 1 Corinthians 13. We still quote it at most weddings. Isaiah was transformed from a depressed and miserable person into a courageous person when he met God, when he got close to God. Moses, we're told, got so close to God that the Bible says he was changed in his appearance. I mean, people literally had to turn away their gaze from Moses because he was like glowing. There was this physical transformation because of his relationship with God. I'd suggest we all want to be close to God. Uh, You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't want to be close to God in, in some way, shape, or form. But Scripture says in Isaiah, this profound line, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. In other words, uh, we're like sheep, and sheep like to wander. They tend to wander. Here's the thing. You don't have to teach a sheep to drift off. This is just something they they naturally do. (laughs) By their very nature, they wander off, and the shepherd has to pursue them. The shepherd has to to bring them on back. They'll walk off a cliff. They'll, they'll head right into a wolf's den. They're just not very bright. They'll get themselves in all kinds of difficult and dangerous situations. And, and all we like sheep tend to go astray. We don't tend to stay close to God. We actually tend to wander. So this weekend as we start talking about transformation, let me, let me start by saying the closer you get to God, the more you are going to be transformed. And so we need to talk about how you get close to God, how you stay close to God. And if you've fallen away from God, how do you get back into that close relationship with God? And there's a, an awesome biblical story that illustrates this in, in just a profound way, this journey of kind of coming back to God, getting close to God. You likely know it. Uh, it was something Jesus taught, one of his kind of most famous parables. We know it as the prodigal son, parable of the prodigal son or 
Some have called it the parable of the prodigal God, because it's a story really about God's love, maybe more than the Son. We find it in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Um, we have Bibles at the back, and our ushers would be glad to, to put one in your hand if you need one. But let me read you the story, and, and then we'll pull some principles out of it, how we can pursue spiritual transformation this, this closest to God. Just listen to this great story again with fresh ears. Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a, a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found so they began to celebrate. May God bless the reading of his word. Don't you love that story? I, I mean, some of you haven't read it in a while. It, you maybe thought you, you knew it all. It, it is an incredible story. It, it, it tells the story of how I, I'd say every single one of us tend to wander away from God, wander away from the God who created us, from, from the Father who, who loves us. This kid starts off saying, Dad, Father, I want mine now. I want my share of the inheritance. Give me mine. It's all about me. Give me my, he says. It's a very self-centered life we see. That, that's where, by the way, we usually start in life. Give me mine. Mine. Give me my God. I want mine now. By the way, we're not going to get into this very much uh, this morning, but, but just think, in that story particularly, how offensive this would have been. <laughs> for a kid to ask for his inheritance before the dad was gone. Just, it's, it was, it's an offensive thing on paper. We know from cultural studies that it was an incredibly offensive thing. It would be the kind of thing that, that the, the village would probably kill you for. It was that offensive in that culture. But what we read is that he takes what the father gives and he, he goes off to, to a far off land, to a distant city, uh, you know, the, the sunset strip of the Middle East. I don't know where that would be. Um, and we're told he goes on to, to waste his time and his money and his energy on wine and women and song. And, and he gets really messed up. I mean, he loses everything, loses it all. And he hits the skids. Next thing you know, he's, he's homeless. And to top all that off, we're told that there's a famine across 
the whole land. So not only is he hungry, is he hungry? Everyone's hungry. So when he's out panhandling, no one's prepared to give him everything, anything at all. So, so things aren't going well. He's not getting by. He can't get a job. Things are going from bad to worse. Finally, he finds a, a farm where he hires himself out to do the, the worst job on the farm. Slopping pigs. Uh, think about this. For a Jew, this was not a good thing to do. <laughs> totally not kosher. As a Jew, you weren't even supposed to touch pork or think about pork, I'm sure. You're not supposed to have anything to do with it. He, he gets the, the worst job a Jewish kid could get, slopping pigs. And he gets so hungry and he gets so, so desperate. He's like going, man, this, this, this stuff looks good. You know, you got to be seriously, seriously desperate for pig slop to start looking good. <laughs> you really do. And then it ends with kind of this profound description. It says, and no one gave him anything, not even a pig slop. Then there's this great line in the story, verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. Don't you just love that line? He wises up. He, he comes to his senses. He's, he's like going, shoot, the servants, the, the, the poorest paid guys in my dad's employment earn more than this, eat better than this. What am I doing? And he knows he's blown it. He knows he doesn't deserve his, his father's love. He just wasted his, his dad's inheritance. But, but he's, he's like, I'm not going to go home and ask my dad to just accept me back into the, the family. I'm going to go back and ask my dad to, to, to hire me on as one of his servants. <laughs> I'd rather do that than, than, than living in this distant country starving to death. And, and you know the rest of the story as we saw what the father's response was. But, but from the story, we see the four things we need to do to get back to God. I, I, I don't know where you might be today. Uh, you might be a far away, way far away from God. Um, you haven't been to church in a long, long time, as long as you can remember. Or, or maybe you, you, you're just a little bit closer, or maybe you're just a little bit closer. Or, or maybe you've just been kind of distant for a week. <laughs> You've had just one of those weeks where there's been some kind of disconnect between you and the Father, between you and God. And yet we all long to be close to God. How do we get back to him? Well, we, we do these four things. Uh, first uh, is we get fed up with my life. Uh, it's called getting fed up with your circumstances, fed up with the way you've been living, you know, getting sick and tired of, of, of being sick and tired. Coming to that place where you say, I am not going to live this way anymore. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more, says Popeye. And really, no significant change hap can happen in your life until you first get dissatisfied with, with where you are. If, if, if life is not working for you, and yet you still give the, the good old Canadian answer, I'm fine, then you will not change. Um, Bill Hybels is a uh, pastor who talks a lot about leadership. By the way, uh, another pastor has a great definition of leadership. Leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can stand. <laughs> I like that, actually. I think that's, that's an encouragement to me. Part of my role is to disappoint you, but just at a rate you can stomach, right? But Bill Hybels, he talks a lot about leadership, and, and uh, one of one of his talks, he describes leadership as, as being the whole process of taking people from here to there. From here to there, from, to, to some, from where you are as an organization, as a people, to, to some preferred future. You want to you move them along that journey to this, 
this better place. That's what vision is supposed to, to, to lead us. And uh, he says the only way you can convince people to move from where they are to go to that better place is you got to convince them that, that where they are here is intolerable. It would be unthinkable to stay where you are, to be stuck here. When, when we started talking about reaching our community and, and doing practical things, uh, part of our language was we got to do something. It would be intolerable, unthinkable for us to do nothing, to sit by as we watch our neighbors in trouble. But what this scripture is pointing to is, is you've got to get desperate. You've got to get hungry. You've got to get to the place where the status quo in your life is intolerable to you. You know, the passage says it, it, he wasted it all. He had nothing left, and he got desperate, and he got hungry, and finally he came to his senses and that's where the journey of transformation starts. You get desperate. Let me ask you, are you there yet? If not, it's okay. Um, God will let you stay there. And he'll let a little rain come in your life. And, and if that doesn't work, he'll send some more rain. And if that doesn't work, he'll send some thunder. And if that doesn't work, he'll send a storm. Why? Because God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just the way you are. <laughs> it's his mercy. And so when God wants to get our attention, he comes and, and he knocks on our door, and if we ignore him, he just knocks again, and if we ignore him, he, he knocks again, and if we ignore him, he blows the door down. Um, I had a, a conversation a couple months ago with a, a longtime friend of mine who has struggled with drug addiction. And uh, earlier this year, his life spiraled out of control. It was awful to watch. He'd come to my door uh, regularly uh, at my home, uh, always needing money. It was always the same amount, by the way. It was for gas or for this or for that, but it was always the same amount. You know what the amount was? Just enough for one drug fix. That was the amount. And suddenly he disappeared, and I didn't know what happened to him. And finally, he got a hold of me at the church here, uh, and... Uh, he was calling from a court-ordered rehab center. And he confessed how he'd been stealing to serve his habit. And he got caught red-handed, you know, right in the act. And he said, you know what? As they were putting the handcuffs on me and, and putting me in the back of the squad car, do you know what I said? He, said? he said, thank you, God. This is a mercy. God had blown down the door of his life because otherwise he said, I knew where I was going. It was destruction. So, some of you have had the, the door blown down in your life. You lost your job or you lost your marriage or you lost your friend or you lost something. Why? Because God does everything he does in your life for love, out of love. He doesn't want you to miss him and he does not want you to waste your life. Not, not every bad thing that happens in our life is, is because of that, by the way. Lots of bad stuff just happens, and it grows us, and he redeems it. But sometimes it's because we're going in a direction, and he wants to prevent us from going that way, down that road. And so when you start saying, I'm just so unsatisfied with my life, I just don't like the way I'm living, I don't like this, guess what? That's God knocking on your door. That's, that's really the first step of transformation is for you to get so disgusted, so dissatisfied, so discontent with the, the way you've been living. Jeremiah 29, 13 in the message puts it this way. He says, 
It says, you know, seek me and you'll find me, God says. It says, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. What he's saying is God won't reveal himself to you if you just sort of want him. If, you just, if it's real casual, sort of almost like pursuing kind of like a hobby kind of way, we've, we've got to get fed up with the way we're living. There's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be a better way to live than this. You get fed up. Secondly, you own up. First, I get fed up, and, and second, I own up to my sin. That's the second thing this young man did. I mean, he got fed up, first of all. And then in verse 17 and 18, it says, when he came to his senses... He would go on to say, I have sinned against God and you. Nothing's going to happen until we come to this stage, to to stage two. (laughs) Stage two is owning up. I I need to face up to the fact that I have not been living God's way. I've been living my way. I've I've been been doing life my my way, the the way I think is best. Doing it in a way that protects all my fears. Doing it in a way that tries to control everything around me, even though I know I can't control it, I'm still trying to control it. So I own up. What do I own up to? I own up to my sin. When he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned. And if we compare sin, if we think of the seriousness of sin, it's, uh, it's like a physical disease in a way, but it's not like a mild physical disease like indigestion or a skin rash or an ache or a pain. It's, it's more like a terminal illness is what sin is like. Because God is a holy and, and perfect and sinless God. And as Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins have separated you from your God and have hidden his face from you. Well, ask you, you ever prayed and it felt like God was a million miles away? You ever prayed and, and you felt like your, your prayers were just kind of bouncing off the ceiling or, or you prayed and, and you felt like there was just this thick curtain between you and God. Sometimes that's because God absences himself from us so that we'll pursue him and seek him. Sometimes his absence makes us long for him more. There's, there's that dark night of the soul the early church fathers talked about. Sometimes he's absent because of our sin. We can't, we can't hear him, we can't feel him, we can't see him because we're kind of embroiled in something that is so opposed to God that that we can't connect with him in that way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We wander away, and we give our love to something else. When, you know, when you give that ultimate love to, to something else, there's a word for that in the Bible. You know what that word is? It's an idol. We think idols are, are like little stone things that people bow down and, and worship. Actually, a, an idol can look like your car, or it can look like your job. It can look like your kids or your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It can be the, the way you dress. It can be the way you look. Anything you love more than God can become an idol. The first and second commandments say, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any false idols. I mean, money can be an idol. Success can be an idol. Sports can be an idol. And, and those are not bad things but they're just not deserving of first place in your life. So I I own up to my sins. Your your sins have separated you from your God. The fact is, in a way, you're as close to God as you choose to be. You can't really blame anyone else for your sin or for your idols. That's not something you can blame your parents for. 
I mean, you, you, you can't blame your kids for it. You can't blame your spouse for those idols in your life. You can't even blame the government. Isn't that sad? This is like the one thing that you can't blame the government for, your sin. You're as close to God as you choose to be. The fact is you haven't been desperate. You haven't been fed up enough to say, I'm desperate to know God. And when you're desperate, you don't just get fed up. You actually own up and you say, I've got to know God. I've got to. It was, uh, it was the turning point for my addict friend. I, I'd been lied to so much by this guy that I really could tell the difference when he told the truth. And when he got me on the horn, this is the second call he made to me where he just owned up to everything. He said, I blew it. My bad, my fault. I really, really blew it. It was all me. He owned up. And, and, and it's such an important place to come to in our walk with God where we own up and we say, God, I, I've blown it. I've been, I've been going my own way. I, I, I've not been going your way. I've been going my way. I've been doing what I want to do. And you know why we can do this so freely with God? Well, the story illustrates that, but it's God's response to me owning up. He doesn't rub it in. He doesn't say, I told you so. Psalm 51 is a great illustration of this. David prays a prayer. I think we all should learn to pray. Um, You know, David prayed this prayer after he had uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Pretty serious sin. Listen to this. He prays, be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my fault, and I'm conscious I've sinned against you. Then look in the next verse. The Lord says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Isn't that a beautiful verse? He says, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, I can remove it. That's what you might call the oxyclean verse of the entire Bible. He says, you've got a stain, I, I can take it out. God says, I can remove that stain and make your heart as white as freshly fallen snow. The next week in our groups, we're going to be studying uh, seven habits for spiritual growth, but one of the habits we can never outgrow of in our walk with God is this whole habit of coming clean, this whole habit of confession, about recognizing where, we're, where we've gone astray. Uh, some of you I, I know practice uh, the, the, the consolations and the desolations. It's, a, it's an ancient practice where every day, maybe when you're in bed at night, you reflect on your day, or in the morning you reflect on the day before, and you reflect on the ways God has has moved in your life, the consolations, those things where you're comforted, where you see God was active in my life there. And the desolations are, where was I straying from God? Where was I walking a different way? And I, I'd, I'd encourage you in that kind of practice. It's, it's actually revolutionized my journey with Jesus as I've reflected on where's God moving in my life? Where is he saving and working? Where am I messing up? And, and, and it's keeping short accounts with our God. I like what Frederick Buchner says. He puts it this way. He says, to confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything God doesn't already know. Think about it. He says, until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. Love that. So I get fed up, then I own up, and I face up to what I need to do. And then there's this third thing we need to do to grow close to God. 
is offer up myself. We own up and then we offer up. I offer up my life. I, I offer up myself. I offer up my, my whole being. This is the third thing that we find this young man did. He got fed up. He, come to his, he came to his senses. He owned up. He says, I've sinned against God. Then he offered up. Notice verse 12. The son drifted away saying, give me my share. And then verse 19, he comes back. He returned to the father saying, make me a servant. <laughs> make me your servant. Notice this attitude shift. He, lay, he leaves saying, give me, give me, give me. He returns saying, make me a servant. That's transformation. When your heart moves from this kind of self-orientation to this God orientation, that's change. Let me ask you, are, are you there yet? Or are you still in your walk with God in the give me, give me, give me stage? Are you behaving like an infant with God in your relationship with him? What can God do for me? Give it to me now. To, to make me a servant. See the shift that happens there. That's the transformation. He returns saying, make me. That's what I'd call the, the, perhaps the greatest transformation of all from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Some have said that one of the best definitions of sin is, is this just simply this self-centeredness that we all find ourselves trapped in. Are you letting God change that in you? Now, let me say this transformation does not happen overnight. My, um, my pastor friend David this week, he was telling me about uh, a sermon series he's preaching, 10 weeks on spiritual formation, which is basically this topic. And uh, someone in his church asked, how long is this series going to be? And his answer was, the rest of your life. <laughs> I love that. And I, I want to say, I know, I know this, God is still working on this in my life, and I trust that he's working it on, on your life, and it's going to take the rest of your life as he works this out in you. It's never instant. But there is a decision that starts this process. I love the, the encouragement we find in 2 Corinthians 3. We've looked at this passage a lot lately. Verse 18, it says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That, that word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, or metamorpho. Does that sound like a word you know? metamorphosis, right? That's the English word. What is me metamorphosis? It's this cool thing where a caterpillar actually gets changed over time into a butterfly. And it doesn't happen overnight. In fact, there's a, the stage where it's sitting there in its chrysalis, it's formed this cocoon, and it's actually pretty ugly. It doesn't look good. Let's look at the next slide. I think I've got a picture of it there. It's, it, when, by the time it's in its cocoon, it's not looking pretty. But look what it becomes. It transforms from that to that. From a lowly caterpillar to a, to a beautiful, beautiful butterfly. It's amazing. I so badly want to be that, and I want you to be that. I, I want you to be transformed from the lowly caterpillar into the beautiful butterfly. That's what transformation is all about. It's, it's metamorphosis. When, when you're a caterpillar... What can you do? Not much except crawl and munch leaves, right? And you're stuck on the ground. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure caterpillars have looked up at butterflies and, and, and they say, you'll never catch me on one of those things. <laughs> but God, God made you to be a butterfly. God made you to soar. God made you to be beautiful, not ugly. Beautiful. But you've got to go through this metamorphosis and, and that this, this transformation process 
One is one, get fed up with the way you've been living, and then own up, basically get honest with God. God, I admit it, I've been living for myself, I've been doing it my way, and then I offer myself up. Romans 12, 2 is our, our theme verse. Remember what it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me read the verse before it, it's where it says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's it, I offer my, up myself. Another version says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's, this is your act of not bowing down to idols, but, but bowing down, worshiping the one true God. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No transformation happens until you do the offer up which is what we see this son doing in the story. Basically, he comes and he's prepared to offer his life, to put his life in the father's hands. Notice the father's response, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the father goes on to say, bring the best robe, bring the ring, best ring, bring the, the best shoes, Bring the fatted calf, kill the flat, slaughter the fatted calf, all these things. That's the father's response. Notice he, he didn't wait for the son to come home. While his son is still off in a distance, he runs out to him. And here's the thing. The moment that you say, God, I'm tired of living the way I've been living, I'm tired, God will do more than halfway. He, he runs out to meet us. He's, he's not waiting for you to come knocking on his door. He's waiting for this, this moment in your life, and he runs, he runs out to you. He throws his arms around you. He says, I, I, I know you blew it. Get my best robe. Get, get my signet ring. Do you know what the signet ring was? In that day, it was like your credit card. I mean, the signet ring was something that, that if you uh, squished it into hot wax on a document, uh, that was your seal. That was like your credit card. And this father says, go get my Platinum American Express and bring it to my son who just blew half my income. You ever seen such grace as that? God doesn't hold a grudge against all the stuff we've done. He's ready to lavishly pour this on. Bring out the best. God just simply has a, a better life for you than you could ever possibly imagine. Um, sometimes I think one of our problems is we think we've already arrived. You know, uh, as I've said before, when I was a kid... Uh, I've told some of you that my parents fed us fried bologna. Some of you, I, I found out this was a common thing back in the day. Fried bologna was a bit of an entree in Canada. Sad to, sad to think of it. Um, I, I thought it tasted great. Now I can't stand the thought of it. <laughs> but as a kid, it was, it, was, it, it was all I knew. It was pretty good. And when I got a little bit older, I got introduced to another wonderful food called alphagetti. Yeah, those beautiful little letters in that sort of uh, soupy, uh, sweet pasta sauce in a can. And uh, when I was in university, I actually ate that cold. I, would just, I was too, too lazy to even heat it up. I just, you know, sort of drink it right out of the can. Yeah, it was good stuff. Um, and I thought alphagetti was pretty good until I ate my wife's spaghetti and don't even get me started about her curry. <laughs> now, now, I could have gone my whole life eating fried bologna and alphagetti and 
And think how sad that would be. If you're in that place, you have an open invite to my place for dinner, please. There is more. But, but to think that I, I might not have ever known that there was a better taste out there. If you knew that there was a better way to live than you've been living, wouldn't you want to know about it? That, that's what transformation is all about. And, and here's the thing. You may be saying, I, I, I'm living the good life. And you know what? It's actually true. You live in Canada with a lifestyle. Even the poorest among us have a lifestyle here in Canada that many in the world envy. So you're, you're living the good life. But there's only one problem with the good life. It isn't good enough. You were made for the better life. A life you can't even imagine. Any more than a, a caterpillar can imagine what it's like to be a butterfly. You think you know, but you don't know until you, you make the transformation. You can't even imagine. You can't ima- it's so much better. And, and there are people who are next to you, and they've got the clothes, and they've got the car, and they've got all the, the cash, and they're going, I'm living it. I'm living the good life. And they're missing the better life. By the way, We really want to be a church here at Hillside where we are pointing to the better life. Where where as a congregation, as a community, we are the good news kind of people where we are are encouraging people, telling them there is something more, there is something better. We want to be all about that. So how do I get close to God? How do I get back to God? I, I get fed up. I own up. I offer up. Then there's one more thing I do once I come home and I'm embraced in God's love. He, he loves on me and, and we just, I love this part of the story. He brings out the best. He forgives all and he says, go get the fatted calf. I wonder what this story would be like if he was a vegetarian. Go get the fatted zucchini. Um, we're having a party. We're going to sell. See, the zucchini just does not read in that story very well, does it? Fatted calf sounds good. I'm sorry, I just digress. Our uh, youth on Friday night had a vegan cook-off in respect of those who are vegetarian or vegan in, the, in our youth ministry. And I thought, how, how cool is that? And my son came home and described what they ate, and it sounded like alphagetti and fried bologna. <laughs> really good stuff. That's uh, it's not good. But the father says, we're going to celebrate. And here's the thing. Here's the greatest surprise of the gospel. Lincoln read about it during the the worship this morning from Romans 6. You do not come home to condemnation. You come home to celebration. You do not come home to condemnation. You come home to the, the, the Father's welcoming embrace. And that leads us to the fourth thing we do to grow closer to God. We lift up our praise. We join the Father in the celebration. We thank him. We thank him for his grace. We thank him for his love. We thank him for his goodness. We lift up our praise. The, the father in Luke 15 says, we're going we're gonna to feast. Let the party begin. My son, he, who is lost, he's now found. And I want to say life becomes a party when you begin to experience God's transformation in your life. When you, when you kind of intersect your life with his grace and his love and his forgiveness, it's natural to want to praise him, to give him glory And so we find in in Psalms, like Psalm 68, 4, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him, his name is the Lord. Can I say this this morning, Hillside? 
for your own transformation, you need to become a person of praise. You need to become a person who praises. You need to start lifting God up. I go so far as to say this. You need to sing. Some of you say, I can't sing. You still need to sing. You do. That's why we gather here Sunday, and Sunday after Sunday. Why do we spend that, that time at the beginning of our service singing? Because we're, we're instructed all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to sing our praises unto our God. We're told to do this. We're, we're encouraged to do this. Why is that? I mean, some of you think it's, it's enough to come for the preaching or for the fellowship. And maybe you even come late and you say, I really haven't missed much. I'd say you missed a lot if you missed, missed our singing. Music has power. It's like our heart song. Have you found that? We're, last week I showed a clip from Chariots of Fire. And he's running at the end. And, and, and uh, there's no music. There's no music in the background. And do and you know where I get choked up every time in that scene? The music starts. <laughs> and you're like... I know a kid who gets really scared at, at, in scary movies. And, and his parents say, he d he's really smart. This kid is really bright. You know what he does? This kid... When he's in a scary scene in a movie, he doesn't turn his eyes away. He just plugs his ears. Because <laughs> it's the music in the scary movies that gets you. It's not the scary scene. Music is powerful. And, and what does Scripture say? It says, make a what? Joyful noise. means you don't have to be pretty in your singing. My, my wife loves that verse, make a joyful noise. And she does it really well. She really does. Anyone, I'd say, can do that. For your own transformation, you need to sing. Uh, Rick Warren has a psychologist friend that says, you know, whenever any Christian comes to see him for depression, before he prescribes anything, before he does anything else, his first question is, did you sing all the songs in church last Sunday? If they said no, he says, I want you to go and I want you to sing all the songs at church for the next three weeks and then come back and see me. Sounds kind of simplistic, doesn't it? But you know, and I'm not saying that's going to cure everyone's depression, don't get me wrong, but I mean, there is power to our singing. You know, there was a global study a couple years ago that concluded that the habit of group singing, not singing by yourself, but the habit of group singing is really, really good for your health. They discovered singing with other people lowers your blood pressure, improves your mood, builds confidence, relieves loneliness, releases negative emotions and stress. Another study showed that people who sing and worship each week actually live longer. I want you to live longer. So sing. And it's amazing what can happen when we lift God up, when we worship and we glorify God and, and ascribe to him the greatness that is due his name. It's amazing how our perspective gets changed. Let me lead you in a, just a, a brief illustration of this. I want you to, to point your finger up. Put one of your hands, point your finger up. And uh, just at chest level, I want you to look at your finger and start moving it in a circular motion, counterclockwise. Counterclockwise. Some of you have to really think about this. Okay? Now, sometimes our, our lives feel, keep doing that, sometimes our lives feel that way, like, like life is just kind of stuck in reverse, like everything is going backwards. Now, now, start raising your circular motion upwards and look up at your finger. What happened? Your finger is now going clockwise. You seen that? What changed? Your perspective. Some of you, I, I know, 
Actually, I wish I had video of this because this is like the most entertaining thing I've ever done in church. Like seriously. See an Albert Limbach. Beautiful. That was beautiful, my friend. And, and nothing compared to some of the other people who are just like embarrassed by their finger motions. You know, as we uh, focus on God, as we consider his glory, our perspective can get changed. Our problems, our struggles, our worries, our anxieties can be changed, transformed into, as Paul says, our light and momentary troubles. And I'm going to challenge you to come on Sundays and not just tolerate the music if you don't like music. I'm going I'm to challenge you to sing. Sing out. Make a joyful noise. You know, let's do that. Let's enter in. Let, the, let that lifting up of praise draw us into who God is. It short circuits our brain and, and does something in our hearts that I think is really important. Because the, the father had a celebration, not a condemnation. And when the son came back home, he was fed up. And then he owned up, and he offered up, and then he lifted up. Let's lift up our praise. You bow your heads with me. Let's pray this morning. Father, when we think of your grace, uh, it's easy to be overwhelmed. It makes our hearts want to sing. And there's no way that we deserve this kind of reaction, this kind of celebration, this kind of welcoming when we come home. We come to you this morning and we say we're, we're fed up, Father. We're, we're fed up with the way we've been living. We're fed up for those times in our lives where we're living without Jesus. We're fed up with doing it in our own way, in our own power. We're, we're fed up with all of that. And God, this morning we own up. We realize you haven't moved, but we have. And the reason we're not close to you is because we've allowed other things to cloud our vision of you. We've allowed idols in our lives. And we've loved other things more than we've loved you. And that's made you feel distant. But, but we come back and we own up this morning to our sin. And God, we also offer up ourselves. And if, you, if you're wanting to, to participate in a little, another way, you could open your palms to the heavens even now as, as we pray offering your life to him. We want a God stop saying, give me, give me, give me. And we're saying this morning, make me, make me, make me. Make us into people who will learn to follow you with our whole hearts. Our Lord and our God, we pray that you would transform our lives during these next seven weeks, we pray. And if you have never accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, you've never received his forgiveness, it's an easy thing to do. There's no hoops you have to jump through. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to beg. You simply say, Jesus, right now I accept your gift of salvation and forgiveness. Would you forgive me of my sin? And I thank you for loving me and dying for me on the cross. I give myself back to you. I offer myself to you. Make me your servant. I ask you to transform my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.